you remember that uh, we began this some time ago. We're uh, a little bit uh, uh, removed from it, at least as I was recovering and so forth. But uh, now that we're back, returning to it last Sunday and then again this, and we'll be here for probably another month or so, I would suspect. If you remember, this is the prayer that Jesus prayed on the night that, that he had met with his disciples in that last Passover night, that night that, that, that he desired earnestly to be with them. The, he had... He knew he was to be betrayed soon after this, that he would be given up, that he would be mocked, that he would be beaten, that he would be tried unjustly, yet condemned by men. And we knew then he would go to the cross. And he knew that. And this is the context in which he prays. Very intimate moment as he prays this prayer to his Father. We have opportunity to kind of peek in on it. John chapter 17. Before we read, would you please pray with me? Father in heaven, it's amazing to us that you've spoken to us through the scripture, and I pray for me, for us, that you would help us take away distractions, Father. Enable us to concentrate on this word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use it in such a way that would reveal to us our Lord Jesus Christ. You've come to glorify him. And even then, as as you glorify him through this word, we know that he came to glorify the Father so that through him we would know the Father. So I pray, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be glorified as we listen, as we think together. Speak to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 17, I want to read verses 6 through 19. Hear the word of God. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I've given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now, we're at this point in Jesus' prayer where he he prays very specific items for his followers, for those who trust in in him, to those he has given eternal life. Very specific things. You know, when you and I get together often for prayer, we, we spend a little time and we say, what are the requests? And people share various things in their mind that we should be praying about. Jesus doesn't take prayer requests. He knows exactly 
what we need. He knows exactly what to pray. He knows exactly what the Father desires to hear from Him. He knows exactly what the Father will do. And so, He prays these items very specifically. We know they come from the heart of God. We know that God will do them because the Son asks and He intercedes, if you will, for us. So these are very significant items, these five items for which Jesus prays. Today, I want to take up this first one. It begins in verse 11. Jesus said, And I'm no longer in the world, but they're in the world, and I am coming to you. And here's the request. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. This this keeping kind of prayer is continued again in verse 15, where Jesus says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So, So Jesus is praying. He's addressing his Father as Holy Father. And he's praying that we, at least praying for his followers at this point, that we be kept, guarded, protected, provided for. We be kept in his name, in the Father's name. And he's also praying that we be kept from the evil one. Now, these expressions remind me a bit of what we normally call the Lord's Prayer. Now, technically, the prayer in John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. It's the one he's praying, the one in Matthew that we refer to as the Lord's Prayer is really the disciples' prayer. He teaches us to pray that, but I know that's confusing. So, the one we typically talk about is the Lord's Prayer begins like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy Father. Father in heaven, your name is holy. Holy Father. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or deliver us from the evil one. So, so what he teaches us to pray for ourselves is even what Jesus teaches here. Is Again, what requests should we take as we gather to pray? Should we not pray that we be kept in the Father's name, that we not be kept from the evil one? That little expression, Holy Father. The expression holy means different, unique, set apart different than all the others. When we think of the word fathers, we think of men as fathers of their children. And and that's right to do. But this is one that Jesus distinguishes from fathers. He says, you're the holy father. You're the righteous father. You're the father set apart, different than all the others. There's some similarities, of course, among fathering and fathers. Fathers, we know, are to care for their children, to provide for them and protect them, and all of that. But Jesus sets this father, his father, God, apart from all other fathers. We have to be very cautious because we oftentimes try to understand God by way of our earthly fathers. We think God should be like, or God is like, our earthly fathers because it's the same word. Father, father. Does an aside, I shouldn't say this. Well, what the heck, I'm going to say it now. When I, was, I was, when I was in seminary, I was in Boston, north of Boston, I worked as a chaplain for about six weeks because I had to, in a hospital there. And it was good to do, learned a lot. It was good ministry, but it was a very highly Catholic area, and there was this one lady that was there the whole time I was there, bless her heart. And um, I prayed with her twice a day, and she was a Roman Catholic woman. And I was a confusion to her being a Protestant. So she asked me if I was a father, and I said no, because I knew what she meant. She meant a priest. But then I said, but I have children. Um... So that confused her right off the bat. Uh, So she said, oh, you're a father. You're not a father, but you have children. 
So she called me Father, Father from then on out. Because you could just see it working in her mind. She'd say, oh, hello, Father. You're not a father. Oh, but you're a father. Anyway, um, we try to understand God by way of earthly fathers. But that, if you can understand this, is really idolatry. Because we're making God out as if he's a man, as if he's a human being. We sang in a song, first one this morning, that very expression, just to sort of set us up for that. Immortal that is God. You're not like a man. You're different. You're holy. You're different than other fathers. And we need to understand human fathers by your standard, by the way that you are, not understand you by the way human fathers are. There's no human father who is in this sense holy, different from all the others. The one set apart. The one by whom every other father is defined. Everything else is known. Because if we try to understand God on the basis of our human fathers, we get it wrong because no human father can compare to him. No human father is like him. I'm sure if my children sat down and made a list of all my characteristics of the father and all God's characteristics of the father, I would come up a little short. Right? Because I'm not like him. And they would know that. We bribe them not to tell people much about that. But, <laughs> um, but we know that there's this significant difference. He is, in fact, the Holy Father. In fact, Jesus even used this fact at one point. Uh, he said, when he was talking to a group of people about God being one who desired to give good gifts to his children, he looked at the fathers in the crowd and he said, You... Even you, fathers, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will our Father in Heaven give good gifts to His children who ask Him? But you remember what He put in the middle of that. He looked at those earthly fathers and He said, But you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. He's saying, there's one who's holy, and then there's all of you. You have a certain sense of what it's like to be a father because you really do have a certain sense of desire to give good gifts to your children, but not like God. He's holy. He's different. He always desires the right thing. He always desires to give good gifts to his children. He's never stingy. He's always doing the right thing in this regard. There's another expression. The Apostle Paul uses it in his letters. You know how the New Testament is set up. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, uh, the history book, really, of the early church. And then after that is this, this series of letters. A guy named Paul wrote a lot of them. And he uses this expression of God. He refers to God as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's appropriate because Jesus is the very Son of God. We understand that both Father, Son, Deity, one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons. But when he says that, he's saying, I want you to understand Father as this one who's the Father of Jesus. And when we look at this one who is the Father of Jesus, what are his characteristics? Don't look at Bill as the father of Gracie and Josh and Sarah. Look at this father, who's the father of Jesus. And you know, he was the father that was very pleased with his son, in whom I am well pleased. Always, he loved his son. He was the one who was faithful to his son to, to, to fulfill every promise 
that he made to his son. So much so that the son, our Lord Jesus, could completely abandon himself in his father. He could completely abandon himself even on this night. And he could abandon himself to the point of saying, I know it's to come. I know I'm going to die. I know a cross is coming. But I know at the end of the day, you're going to vindicate me. I know it doesn't look like that. It doesn't feel like that. It's going to be painful. But I know you, Holy Father, you're that trustworthy. You're that good. Therefore, I can abandon myself to you. That is this Holy Father to whom Jesus prays on our behalf. And he is this very one, our Holy Father as well. And so we come in Jesus praying, Holy Father. We're prayed for by Jesus to this one who is the Holy Father. So it makes perfect sense that Jesus prays that this Father then, this good and perfect Father, would keep us, protect us, guard us. Now when I read that we're to be guarded, we're to be kept, it sort of elicits in me two different emotions. One is, it makes me feel like I'm in danger. I mean, if I have to be kept, then I must be in danger. I mean, if you're not in danger, why do you need to be kept? Why can't you just do it yourself? But, but you get this sense that, oh, I'm in danger. It, it creates a certain ma- measure of anxiety. You get this sense that, uh, that I'm, I'm really not safe somewhere, so I need to be kept. But on the other hand, since he's praying, Jesus is, to our Holy Father, to his Holy Father, we, we get this sense, all right, if God will keep me, then I will be safe. I can have peace in the midst of that circumstance. And we know the danger. We spent all of last week, probably too long of last week, talking about this place called the world. Jesus said that he was leaving us in the world even more than that, that he was sending us into it. And that was an interesting thing because he also said that this world would hate us. And so here we have Jesus, this one who loves us, this one who cares for us, this one who's praying for us. And he says, I'm going to send you into a place, not just leave you in a place. I'm going to send you explicitly into a place that hates you. And he said it was the world. And we, we know that the, the, the spirit of this world, the scripture refers to it as the spirit of Antichrist. That is, it's against Christ. And not only against Christ in the sense that this world is saying don't believe in Jesus and and living in a sense to, to draw us from believing in Jesus, but presenting an alternative to Jesus to us. The spirit of the world, everything that's contrary to the ways, the thoughts of God. And Jesus said, that's where you're going to be. That's the danger. And so he's praying that we'd be kept in the midst of that, kept in the Father's name, kept from the evil one. That's what he's praying for us to be kept. And we know this world that hates us uh, can manifest that hatred in a variety of ways. In some ways it can be very overt and we can feel the persecution and see it in the lives of people as we have over the, the course of our history, of the church history, even in the context of our own day, people, Christians being persecuted for their faith. But it can also come across very subtly. It can come across very subtly as very nice people living very nice lives without God, urging us to live like them, to follow their philosophies of life, whether it's our dear friend Oprah or, or the, this man that we spoke of last week who wrote, wrote the book, um, The Last Lecture, who, who gave that last lecture, Dr. Gary, or, um, Dr. Pausch um, from Carnegie Mellon. 
And so it lures us away. And even in the midst of that, the danger that we realize that the world is constantly saying to us, accumulate, 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 do better, do better, do better, impress, 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 so that everybody can come up to you and see what you have and congratulate you, and thus it puffs you up. And that pride, there's something about that that appeals to us at various levels, and we say, yes, why not that? Why not that way of life? This person lived that way, and look at all the accolades, and look at all that they have. I want to be like that. That's a very dangerous thing. Because God says, no, honor me as God. Follow after me. Allow me to define your life, to direct your life. Find your delight in me, not in these other accolades. So that's the danger. And so Jesus begins to pray. We know the danger is even greater because there's this one behind it all, this one evil one, this Satan himself, who's undergirding all of this. And it's infiltrating this world attitude and world system we know through various institutions which we interact with all the time, like government and education and business. Wherever it is, there's the spirit of the world. And we're in the midst of that. So Jesus says, Holy Father, keep them. And he says, Father, keep them in your name. Now, what does that mean? I want to be a little picky for a minute. I'm not usually really picky with translations, but I want to be a little picky for a minute. A wonderful translation of the Bible, which most of you have in your laps, probably many of you have in your laps, I used to always read, I still do read uh, as part of my devotional life from time to time. So it's a fine translation of the Bible. I'm not picking on it. These are brilliant people that did the translation. Uh, but it's the New International Version and translates verse 11 like this. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. Now, that's a right and proper biblical theological point. I think it's a bad translation of that sentence, but it's, 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 if it turned up any other place, it'd be great. And, and I know why the translators, the uh, NIV, uh, translated it that way. It seems to fit in some regard contextually and, and in other passages of Scripture. The name of God is powerful and it protects us. But I don't think that Jesus has the means by which we're to be protected in mind. I don't think he's saying, what I want you to know here is that by the power of God's name, he'll protect you. I think there's something deeper than that, really, in this particular context, where Jesus is saying, not so much how will you be protected, but where. So I want you to keep them in your name. I want you to keep them in something. I want, in some sense, the location of their lives, the location of their souls to be in your name. So what does that mean? Well, it certainly means that we'd be in the very presence of God, that we'd be loyal to Him. We would never leave Him, if you will. Nothing would ever snatch us away. But, but this little expression, in your name, is very significant. Names, we know, in the Bible are important. So much so, that there are times when the names of people are changed. Abraham to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, so forth and so on. Go through the scriptures and find various names being changed. Jacob to Israel. And they're changed because names were to be a reflection of what was true of that person. Now, when we name our children, sometimes... You know, we may pick a name and we hope our kid resembles the meaning of that name, but we haven't met them yet. And sometimes it takes a little while uh, for us to, uh, to, to see if that name really fits them. Uh, if it doesn't, we often come up with a nickname that really does fit them. 
we can't usually norm, we can't normally use it in public, but but it really fits around the house. And when you use that name for that kid, everybody knows. Yes, that's right. That fits them really well. Uh, and if you really want to introduce them to someone so they would know them, you go behind and you go. What we really call them is, and you go, okay, you know, you know them. Well, there's a sense in which you see name refers to the person, that person's character, that per- person's personality, if you will, who that person is. That's why we can read throughout the Psalms that we're to praise the name of the Lord. Now, what that means it isn't that we write God, stick it up here, and praise the penmanship of how we wrote that name. We're praising God. Or we're to call upon His name. It doesn't mean that we just sit around and say, God, 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 God. It means that we're calling upon Him in the sense of communicating with Him, encountering Him, if you will. Uh, so the name of God, when, when the Scripture speaks of God's name, it means God. And Jesus is saying, protect them in you, God, in who you are. Give them a knowledge of you. Give them an understanding of you. Give them a revelation of you. Enable them to know you in such a way that they will be kept safe from whatever the world comes at them with. Whatever the world speaks to them about that's contrary to you, let them know you so well and live in that knowledge of you that they never waver from it. That's the very point here. Because you see, God reveals himself through his name. Notice verse 6 in John chapter 17. Jesus puts it like this. He said, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. That is, that Jesus said, I've come to reveal you, Father. I've come to make you known to this particular group of people, the people you've given me, the people to whom I've given eternal life. He says, I've manifested your name. That's precisely what Jesus came to do. As John's Gospel opens, it begins with a a wonderful prologue, the last verse of which is in verse 18 of John chapter 1. And it reads like this, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Now, I read that slowly because if you read it quickly, you'll miss the antecedents to the pronouns. But no one has ever seen God. The only God that is our Lord Jesus, who is at the Father's side, that is our Lord Jesus. He is the one who's made the Father known. Jesus came so we could see God. That's why he would say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no knowing God without knowing Jesus. There's no knowing God without knowing Jesus. That's why Jesus would say, even in this prayer in John 17, eternal life is knowing you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. There isn't any knowing of God without knowing Jesus. There's no, knowing, there's no eternal life without knowing the Father. There's no knowing the Father without knowing the Son. And so Jesus has come to make him known. That's why our being sent into the world as believers in Jesus is so crucial. We know Him. He's called us to Himself. Others don't know Him. How are they going to know God? Well, the world is saying all kinds of things like, A, you don't need to. B, everybody does. C, this way, that way, this way, that way, this way, that way. There's no knowing God without knowing Jesus who's come to reveal Him. We know Him. 
That's why we know him, and it's our charge as knowers of Jesus to make him known. That's why Jesus could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I've come to manifest his name. I've come to manifest who he is. I've come to show you who God really is. Therefore, if you understand me, if you see who I am, if you get me, you'll get the Father. You'll understand him. You'll know him. And so, here we have it. He says, I've manifested your name to them. I've revealed it to them. And now Jesus says, I want you to keep them in your name. Because you see, throughout the scripture, God had revealed himself by way of his, of his name. Uh, we find a couple of different word groups in the Old Testament that reveal the name, that, that, that are associated with the name of God, that reveal God. One is this little word L, E-L. And it, it stands for God. It means God. All kinds of, it could mean God, the one holy true God, or other gods, little g. But, but it, it, this little Hebrew word that we put in English, E-L-L. Some of you know this expression in the context of El Shaddai, for instance, God Almighty. Or Elohim, which is, which is God the Creator, the powerful, almighty God. And so all these L prefix words that refer to God tell us about God as mighty, as creator. But there's another family of words that are associated with this word for God, a word that many of us know. It's the word Yahweh, or in your English translations is often translated Jehovah, or it could be Lord with all caps. That's this idea of Yahweh. And this is the name of God that he reveals at a very significant time in history. And he reveals himself through it at a time when he comes to redeem. Turn to Exodus and chapter 3. Now, the point in history uh, where this takes place is that Israelites have gone to Egypt and they've been enslaved for hundreds of years, 400 years. Moses had grown up there, got into a little difficulty, and ran. And he ran and became a shepherd for about 40 years. And now God confronts Moses, comes to him, and essentially is saying, I want to send you back as the deliverer of my people. And this is that great scene you all know about, of this burning bush, this bush that's on fire but not being consumed, gets Moses' attention. And so he comes with, takes off his shoes. He's on holy ground. God speaks to him. And notice then in verse 14, verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Now Moses is saying by that question, What they want to know is, Who are you? Who are you? And here's the name that God gives to Moses. He says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. That little expression, I am, is a derivative of the verb to be. And it means just that, I I am. I exist. I'm self-dependent. I need no one else for my existence. I simply am. It means he's unchangeable. I am. I am today. I am tomorrow. I am the day before. Uh, I am. I'm not going to change uh, at all. This is who I am. I exist. I'm self-existent. And I am. I won't change. And I'm from eternity because I am today. And I am before time. And I am 
on into eternity. I simply am. This is who I am. And so he gives this name to Moses at this particular time. And it's a very significant time. Turn to uh, Exodus in chapter 6 as this conversation in some sense continues. Different location. John chapter 6 and verse 2. Let me begin with verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do. Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of, out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. In other words, as El Shaddai. That's how they basically knew me. I told them that I was all-powerful, and they knew that. I was the Creator God. As God Almighty. But by my name the Lord, that is Yahweh or Jehovah, but by my name the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan and the land to which they lived as sojourners. So he's saying, listen, this is a special time, Moses. I'm giving you my name. I'm giving you a name that they didn't know me by. That is, I'm revealing something to you right now that they didn't really see, that they didn't really get. This is something special. Hang on to this name, Moses. Verse uh, 5. Moreover, I've heard the groanings of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I've remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. There's a sense in which this name Yahweh for these people at this particular point in time, this name of God is revealing God as their redeemer, as their deliverer. He says here, tell them I am has sent you and here's who I am is. Here's who I am. Here's what I am does. I am delivers. When you know me like this, you'll know me as your redeemer. You'll know me as your deliverer. You'll know me as the one who takes you out of slavery. So tell them that that's what they'll know. And of course, the Lord Jesus comes as that very redeemer. He comes to redeem this I am. He comes to redeem, to reveal this one who is our redeemer, who has indeed brought us out, who has indeed made us to be God. I'm sorry, to made us to be God's very own. Now, as we read through the Old Testament, what we find are suffixes, if you will, to this word Yahweh. That is, the Lord who is. For instance, even back in Genesis, we get a glimpse of this God Yahweh. There was a time in the life of Abraham when he was called by God to slay his son Isaac. Do you remember that? Isaac was his son. Isaac was the son of promise. Isaac was the son through whom all the covenant promises were going to come. And yet God says to Abraham, who later becomes Abraham, I want you to slay your son, I want you to kill him. And so Abraham, in full obedience to God, takes Isaac up to slay him. And just as Abraham is about to kill him. Now remember, Isaac was the safest person on the planet that day. Don't worry about him. It was a little scary, I suspect, a little weird for him maybe, but he was very safe. Because if Abraham didn't obey God, he would live. And if Abraham did obey God, here's what happened. God said, stop, Abraham. 
was just a test. Stop. There's a ram. There's a substitute over in the, the bushes. Take that and put in place of your son. Kill him instead. And so Isaac went off. At that moment in time, Abraham knew God. He knew the very name of God. You are Yahweh, the provider. You're the one who sees our need. You're the one who provides for it. You're the one who brings a substitute. And of course, our Lord Jesus has come to reveal that of God. He's the very substitute that takes our place, takes our death, takes our, 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 our slaying, if you will, that we might go free, that we might live. He's the very one. He's the provider. On another occasion, as, as the Israelites had left Egypt, and they were moving through the wilderness. They came to a place where they thought really they were going to die. They thought they were going to die because they had no water. And they came upon this large body of water. And they went to drink and it was bitter. And they realized if they drank it, they would die. And so God says to Moses, take this branch and throw it in. And he took the branch, threw it into that body of water. And it became sweet. And they drank it. And they lived. And at that point in time, God announced who he was by way of his name. He said, I am Yahweh, I am God, who heals you, who keeps you living. And here's the very, very thing of Jesus. He comes to re reveal God as our healer, certainly the healer of our souls. He comes, he sees our need, and enables us to live spiritually. But not only live spiritually, but enables us ultimately to live forever physically as well. Because we know that while in this life we will die, our bodies will get sick and all of that. We know a day will come when we'll receive a new body that will never perish. And that because of the work of Christ. So he is the God who heals us. On another occasion, as they were going through the wilderness, uh, the, the, there was a big battle between the Israelites and the Amalekites. Joshua was leading the charge for the Israelites, and Moses went up on a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the Israelites would be victorious. But he would begin to tire, and he would, he would pray with his hands extended, and he'd begin to get tired, and as he did, he was lowering his hands, and no doubt his praying would subside. But the two priests that were near him, a man by the name of Aaron and another her, would prop up his arms, and as they did, he would begin to pray vigorously, and the Israelites would win. And, and so, when the, when the Israelites were triumphant, God announced his name like this, and they affirmed his name as God, Yahweh, our banner. You know what a banner is in, in a big rally, for instance. We see them all over the place now in the, in the political realm. Somebody holds up a banner, a political banner with a person's name, and what do people do? They cheer. Why? Because when they see that banner and they see that name, whatever slogan it says on it, they get all excited, and there's hope in that. And they begin to cheer. And their whole attitude has changed and courage comes upon them. We see it in sporting events. People hold up signs for their team. What do they do? They cheer. Why? Because that sign, that banner, gives them hope. Yes, we're the whatever we are. And, 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 and we're going to beat whoever they are. And so here's the banner. See how neutral I was in that? Um, guys would like that. I didn't use any slurs on Mizzou or any of that. There you go. Now, but it's a banner. And so God is our banner. And, 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 and he says, listen, look to me. And when it looks like the world's sucking you up, when it looks like you're going to be destroyed by them, when you look, it looks like you're going to be taken in by them, when it looks like you don't have any control left, look to me. I'll be your banner. And when you look to me and see me, then you'll have strength. And we could go on and on. 
Because there's passages that says that God is our sanctifier. That is, He's the one who sets us apart. Sometimes we feel like we're not only in the world, but we're of it too. And, and, and we've not escaped it at all. And it's just overtaken us. And He says, no, look to me. I'm the one who sanctifies you. I'm the one who sets you apart. I'm the one who's made you mine. He says that He's, our, 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 he's the Lord of hosts. His very army, when it looks like everything's going to overtake us, He says, look to me. I'm your, I will fight for you. I will come for you. The prophet Ezekiel says about God that he's the God who is there and he's the God who is here with us. And the prophet Jeremiah says that he is our righteousness. When, it, when you feel as if there's no way in the world you can keep following him and all you can see is your sin, look to him. He says, I am your righteousness. He says, some of us think that God is like a commentator for the Olympic gymnastics. And that every time we misstep at all, God says, well, that's a 0.5 deduction. Right? Or if we fall on our bottom like that nice little gymnast did for the U.S., that God will say like the commentator did, that's a disaster of epic proportions. But <laughs> you fell on her fine. You know, she's just a kid. She'll be fine. We'll live. It's an, an international incident. It's okay. Or we think that God is a gymnast. And gymnastics coaches must take mean pills. And so, we think, we think God's like that gymnastics coach where we fall down and we come off from the exercise and the coach just rolls her eyes at us and doesn't even give us a hug. God isn't like that. Every time we've sinned, Jesus did it right. And His Father says, that was for you. I've covered yours. I've done it for you. When you feel that way, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of your own life, He says, look to me. And so Jesus, you see, is praying that that's where we would be kept. That we'd be kept by a revelation of God's name. That we'd be kept by a manifestation of who He is. We'd be kept in this understanding of who He is. And that would sustain us. So that in the midst of the world, when it looks bleak, when it's difficult, and all of that, we think it's going to overtake us. He says, no, look to me. I will provide. You need salvation. You're, you're, you're telling people about me. They need salvation. They need someone to provide for them that sacrifice. I've done it. Look to me. When you're out of hope, look to me. I'm your banner. When, when you need strength, look to me. I'm your healer. When you need to be set apart, look to me. I'm your sanctifier. When you need righteousness, look to me. I am your righteousness. That's what he's saying. He said, I want you to be kept right there. Solomon, writing the Proverbs, puts it like this in Proverbs in chapter 18 and verse 10. You need to write this one down. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. It is. And he says the righteous man runs into it and is safe. You see, here's the, here's the safety. He says, run to the strong tower. Run to the name of the Lord. Well, where are you running? Well, you could be running to this one who is the provider. You run to this one who's your banner. You run to this one who's your healer. You run to this one who is your sanctifier. You run to this one who is there. You run to this one who indeed is your righteousness. You run there. And, and what does all that mean? It means you run to Jesus. Because he's all that. And in him, there's all that. And so Jesus says to his father, keep them there. 
Now notice the reason Jesus wants us kept there. And I'm not going to do anything with this, just kind of, I want you to simmer on it. Verse 11, I'm no longer in the world, but they're in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that. Okay? So here's the reason why we're to be kept. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. What Jesus wants, what the Father wants, what the whole plan is about, is having a whole group of people generation after generation after generation, a whole group of people throughout all of history who know Him and make Him known. So what should we expect? Two things. Number one, we should expect to be safe. We should expect to be safe. We should expect in the context of the life in which we live, because he's, he's drawn us, called us to himself, pulled us out, so we're no longer of the world even though we're in it, we should expect to be safe. Now, that doesn't mean, oh, we just can, can, can go along our merry way and think everything will be fine. No, we need to take advantage of all, the, of all the safety features that he gives to us, like his word, like prayer, like the sacraments, like the body of Christ, and all of that. But we can expect in the midst of this life in which we live as believers in Christ, as followers of Christ, to be safe in Him. And the second and astounding thing in the midst of this is that we should expect to know God. Because that's where we're going to be kept. In His name. Let's pray, Father. It's astounding to me, God. that we would know you, that I would know you. (laughs) And I pray for me and for us that you would cause us to run to you, our strong tower, and to live in that tower. For your name is that strong tower, that we we would know you increasingly as our provider. That more and more we would understand the work of Christ and how he has come to die for us and how it is He even lives to intercede for us, that we would know that He is the one You sent to provide this deepest of all needs to be reconciled to You. We would know Him as our provider. And we would look to You even for our spiritual health, our physical health, knowing a day will come when we'll see all of that come to fruition. Father, that we would know you more as our banner, that we would look to you as our hope, that every time we get down, we would look to you, and that would be the the deep and, and meaningful look that would enable us to have hope, even as our shepherd, the Lord is our shepherd, that we wouldn't want, that we would look to you to, to enable us to be at peace and to be refreshed and to be led in paths of righteousness. Father, even though we might face enemies, that you would prepare a table before us, And they would eat there and live there in peace. And even if death would come near our tent and it would come close to us and even hit us, we know that you will be with us and that we need not be afraid that you would anoint us to refresh us. And that only goodness and mercy will pursue us and overtake us 
And that would be true from now until evermore, that we would know that. That you're the one who sets us apart, our sanctifier. You're the one who gives us peace. You're the one who is our very righteousness. May we look to you. Father, there are those in our congregation among us who are suffering deeply, and I pray you would give them a good gaze upon you. And Father, that they would have manifested to them your name in such a profound way that they would be kept and continue to walk with you. Those suffering from cancer, various illnesses and accidents, those who are in relationships that are difficult and distressing. Father, those in financial trouble, those who are confused even about what they should do, which calling they should take, what direction they should go. Father, I pray that you would be their strong tower, that they would know your name. Father, many will be in jobs tomorrow where there will be questions of, of ethics and morality. I pray that you would keep each of us who face those kinds of things, that we would know your name, that you would be our banner, our righteousness. For that all of us are sent into the world, we face various and sundry uh, situations and difficulties. We pray that we might represent well Christ in such a way that people would know him and see him in us, that they would be reconciled, Father, with you. Many minister particularly in his in in, 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 in the name of Christ. Uh, Father, we had a great visit with Doug Nunke as he's been just called to be president of the Navigators. I pray for Doug, our dear friend, and pray your blessing upon him in that work, that you would keep him in your name, that he would always have before him a true understanding of, of who you are, and that that would fuel him and fire him, God, and enable him to lead uh, this ministry. Father, for Len and his work for international students in these days, I pray that the beginning of this semester will show uh, great fruit and, and, and hope for, for him, for others who minister on campus, for the campus leaders, Father, I pray for them that you would be with them and that this would be a fruitful semester, God, as more and more people would come, more and more students would come and hear the gospel and believe. Father, for us in our neighborhoods and our classes and offering offices and, and the clubs we join in with and, and, and the people that we come in contact with, Father, I pray that your mercy and grace would pour uh, through us. God, I pray that you would keep us in your name even as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you to stand for the benediction. Our response to the benediction this morning is to sing together uh, the glories of Calvary. So when you come for the benediction, I remind you also that there will be elders available to pray in the office area. Uh, so please, if you have a particular need, uh, elders have been called by God to do just that, that is to pray and to pray for people. So take advantage of that means of grace of God uh, working through elders of the church to pray for you. So please avail yourself of that. I remind you, too, of our time together tonight, 7 o'clock with Steve and Anna, so don't forget that. Please receive this as God's benediction. Now to Him, who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before His glorious presence, and that with great joy. To only wise God and Savior Jesus Christ can be glory, dominion, majesty, and power 
both now and forevermore. And together let us sing.